Good morning, First Press. Um, I, uh, I forgot to leave this off, so I'm going to do it now. Sorry about that. Um, so I'm really glad to be here with you as we kick off sort of another ministry year, especially after uh, Labor Day. Uh, this, uh, the, the Sunday after Labor Day always kicks off the beginning of my next year here. So I started the Sunday after Labor Day in 2012. So this is the beginning of year seven for me. And uh, when I reflect on the goodness of God's... Po- Uh, it's always uh, just with great uh, gratitude to the Lord and to you all when I think about what these last now six years have meant for us. But I also want to show you what it's done to our, our family. Um, Amy, could you come here for a second? Come here. <laughs> so uh, there's a big game today. <laughs> and there now is a little bit of civil war in our family. Not. You are not a Broncos fan. <laughs> it's been a really, uh, it's been a good weekend for uh, Colorado football so far. Did you watch that game yesterday? Wow. Um, I only got to sort of like follow it um, by radio when I could and um, by ESPN.com on my phone when I couldn't because I. Well, I had a really, really weird, uh, unexpected week. I spent the bo- basically all of this week in um, not Lincoln, Nebraska, which would have been awesome, especially out of the game, but in Lincoln, California. Uh, some of you, many of you know, actually, that we, um, are, uh, we now breed and raise dogs. That's sort of a little side hustle for us. And... Um, I don't want to get into all of the story behind this, but we've had a, a, a dog that's been pregnant with her second litter, but with only one dog, uh, which means she had to go be in the, the puppy. Once it was born, needed to be folded, enfolded in another litter, which just happened to be in Lincoln, California, and uh, was several days in coming. But that's, uh, that's Jonathan, <laughs> uh, the only child of the second litter, and uh, he came uh, late on Friday, uh, Friday night instead of Wednesday. So I got to spend a lot of time in uh, Lincoln. Here's a second picture with a litter of puppies. He's the, he's the one with the big pink nose in the middle there. Just to give you a sense of how big he was as a solo puppy, all those other puppies are already uh, eight days old. So he was ginormous. Um, and I got to spend a lot of time in a Hilton hotel in beautiful... I don't even know if there is such a thing as a downtown uh, Lincoln, uh, California. And for those of you who travel, who spend multiple days, road warriors, I have, I mean, already, I, I just, there's so many things about that that I know are hard. I have like this whole new um, respect for you. <laughs> that is a hard life that you um, are in. And um, may the Lord bless you in it. I, uh, I got to meet all sorts of uh, hotel people. Um, people there are doing all sorts of, all sorts of things that are bringing them through town or in town for a little while or waiting for their house to deflood and they've been there for seven weeks and all sorts of, of things. And I would usually have like a double helping to save money, a, a double helping of breakfast because it was free. And I'd skip lunch and I would go out to dinner somewhere uh, in town. 
and um, there was a red robin there, and that's where I went. I went there, I think, twice. Uh, one, of those night, uh, one of those nights was Thursday night football. Sat in the bar by myself to watch the football game, um, but I had one of those kind of those interactions that you can really only have in a bar. I, I met this guy named Jeff. Jeff's in his late 20s. He is a um, kind of a minor league baseball washout. Um, he's trying to start a new life and a, and a new career, and um, he uh, has got this little bike shop going on, and we ended up having we started talking about things that are really intensely personal. Like the things he told me about his life, I'm like, you don't even know me. And then, then he found out I was a pastor. <laughs> I mean, it was just this remarkable, amazing conversation where we talked about all sorts of stuff, and, uh, including the meaning of life as we're kind of watching, you know, the Eagles uh, play and um, all that, you know, playing the Falcons and and uh, then, um, in the middle of all that, we're talking about those things back and forth. Uh, he says this, not even kidding. There's no sense or purpose in any of it. It's all just hard and suffering. And you try to scratch out a happy life for yourself. There's no sense or purpose in any of it. It's just hard, suffering, you just try to scratch something out. And that's Jeff's story. And I think for a lot of us, way, way, way down deep, we don't talk about, it's probably we think it's ours too. It's sort of the way we sort of find our way going from day to day. It just feels hard. It just feels suffering. I'm just trying to scratch out this tiny little existence that, that I can. Which is one of the reasons why this uh, fall we're trying to kick off um, our community life together, uh, and, it, and it's in a different way. Seeking to tell the, the whole story of the Bible, which is a very different story than that, from beginning to end in 11 weeks, which is why we're calling it Long Story Short. And as you've been hearing us talk about over the last several weeks, we're using this uh, book called The Story of God, The, the Story of Us, as the, the basic skeleton for us to do some of our own exploring and, and learning. And you can buy that book at the end of this service. I encourage you to do that. It's a really thoughtful, surprisingly engaging read. I think you really will like it. And in that book, there are 13 chapters. Uh, we've whittled it down even closer to that, down to 11 they all start with the letter C to help us kind of try to remember them a little bit. Today in a minute, we'll talk about creation, but then catastrophe, covenant, community, conquest, crown, conceit, Christ, church, and then ending with consummation. It's a very different story than the one that I think I tell myself and we often tell ourselves, and a very different one than Jeff is currently thinks he's inside of. It's a story that has some difficulty, and there's some things we're going to discover about ourselves and about the God and about the Lord that are maybe hard and difficult for us over these next eleven weeks. But it's more than just scratching out a life. That's the witness of the Bible, and. and um, I think a lot of us probably have never read the whole Bible. 
um, maybe some of us hadn't even read the story of Genesis before. So we're going to start with creation today and work our way through all the next 11 weeks of the entire Bible. Let's start with a word. Let's pause now. Let's pray that the Lord will guide my speech and our listening hearts, and we'll, um, we'll dive right in. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you with expectant hearts. I thank you for the kind of um, week that we've had, both in its hardship and in its beauty and grace. But I also know that whatever it has meant, there's, uh, it's probably been depleting. Maybe I've lost sight of you or your character. So we pray, Lord, that you would help to open up our hearts and minds and imaginations right now as we come to your word. Would you help me to share in a way that it's clear? Would your spirit pierce our hearts? Would you teach us to say yes to you? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, you know, Jeff, uh, is, he's, he's not alone in this. A lot of us, a lot of our culture, even our, our philosophies even sort of point to some of the same kind of frustration. About six or seven decades ago, uh, there was this man who started, maybe a little longer than that ago, started talking about nihilism, Frederick Nietzsche. And nihilism basically says none of it has any meaning. It's all nothing. We're just here by a complete random set of collision of, of circumstances that have no rhyme or reason or purpose. Even older than that, um, you know, maybe a hundred years before that even, um, there was this dominant philosophy called naturalism. I used to teach a, an American literature a unit on naturalism. And naturalism basically says, well, if there is, a, if there is anything else that's made this, it, it sort of just started it, and that's it, and, and now it's just cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, and it doesn't really have any purpose except for whatever's going to try to eat you today. That's it. You see, if you start with just whatever you can survey and see right around you, you're, you're going to make probably some, some wrong assumptions about what the story really is. We've been doing that since the very beginning. Thousands upon thousands of years ago, men and women, they sat around sort of a, they sat around a, around a fire and under some stars, and, and they told this story. And, and the most dominant creation stories from the very beginning of the, reckon, the human record that we have now tell some story of there being some sort of a large spiritual deity reality that has some sort of a collision, usually, or a fight, or a struggle with some other spiritual reality, and that's for reasons we can't understand, and they can't explain, that's the beginning of creation. Creation starts with, with violence, and anger, and um, capriciousness, and violence, and frankly, a, a, a greedy spirituality. And somewhere in the middle of that 
human beings are made usually to just be enslaved and to be slaves to these violent gods. And though maybe we feel like we know better, we, we have our own version of that. We, we're pretty careful, I think, in the 21st century to not over-spiritualize things. But the story that's sort of swimming around us and our world and you and me and even my own consciousness and imagination isn't that far from that. That we were kind of just, uh, it all kind of just came into existence with a bang, with a, a nameless force, with a giant sort of expansion that is continuing. And we are sort of whimmed to all these forces we can't understand or even name as we get down to smaller and smaller and smaller particles. But we're still at the whim of that story. It's still just a power, not interested in us. There's no purpose in it. It just kind of happened. You see, here's the thing that I, I realized um, over this week in my Hilton hotel. Whether it's thousands of years ago or on a Thursday night in Red Robin, we're still telling the same story. Here it is. We are accidents of power. We're alone in it. And there is no purpose. We are accidents of power. We are alone. And there is no purpose. Do you recognize that story? Do you sort of live with a sneaking suspicion of the truth of it? You sometimes wonder as you're sort of like laying on your bed, as I sometimes do, sort of watching the fan go around, like, that's probably the most true thing that's happened to me today. Just over and over and over again. But see, friends, what I want you to know today is that that's, that's not the best or truest story about you or how it all came to be. And that's where the Bible starts. The Bible starts not simply on, on what it is we can observe, the, the violence that we see, the confusion and chaos. It seems to sort of just flourish around us everywhere. It, it starts actually with this story of God's intent. Not what is, but what was to be. We're going to read that story in its entirety right now. Genesis chapter 1. Normally I'd say to you, pull that pew Bible in front of you, but guess what? They're gone. <laughs> Through a really wonderful gift, we uh, bought some new pew Bibles to start this new series about two weeks ago. They were supposed to be here by Wednesday, and through some set of warehousing circumstances. There are people here who are in charge of warehousing software. Come on, people. <laughs> they now will be here exactly on time tomorrow. So, if you have a Bible, turn to page one. If you don't, uh, just follow along as I read this aloud. 
This is the, the whole story. And I want you to sort of listen to, to how it's a counterpoint over and over and over against what I just was saying we suspect is true and, and my new friend Jeff says is true about what he's doing here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place. And let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to all their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing the fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and, and said, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, 
the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, till the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath and life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Hallelujah and amen. Did you hear how this seeks to tell a different story? Did you hear it? Just in case you missed it, we're going to walk through some of these things very quickly. You can imagine creation theology and the theology of the opening words of the Bible have received so much attention. I can't possibly do all of it justice, even in the way that I would want to. Like, maybe four or five more sermons, but we don't have a 60-week sermon on the story of the Bible, just 11. So here's some things I want to point out to you today. Here's the first one. Our story with God is intentional. It's not arbitrary or accidental. It's done on purpose. See, that's in part of what's going on there when we see sort of this reputation of its goodness and the, the ongoing cycle of day and of night. You might have thought it just was marking time. There's, there's something else that's going on there that the, the writer of Genesis, that God wants us to know through the written hand of the story of Genesis. And it's not a story of, of chaos or accident. It's not a story of sort of just arbitrary decision-making. You might know that these seven days here, as they're listed out, they've created a huge amount of cultural chaos, especially over around the last hundred years or so. Probably know that. 
people wanting to know, well, was it, a, was it a true literal seven days? Was it a figurative days where each day means sort of like epoch or era or something like that? How does this fit in with what it is we're discovering and learning and knowing about, um, sort of about creation through scientific discovery? And friends, here's what I just want you to know. The Bible's never going to answer those questions for you. So if you were hoping I would answer those questions for you, you are sorely mistaken. I cannot do it for you. Because here's the thing I want to say to you over and over and over again. There are things, of course, that the Bible both gets right and gets wrong. Figuratively, it, it describes something that's about creation that, that didn't happen literally in that way. But there's a reason why, friends. You see, no, of course, with the way that God has made us, with the curiosity that we have, of course, we're going to try to peer down to as small as we can and get as big as we can for understanding. Because we want to know how things work. We want to know how things came together. That's, that's part of what actually God has, has breathed into us, as we'll explore in a minute. But the Bible itself, friends, is not interested in how. It's interested in who. And these opening lines of Genesis are meant for us to discover quite a bit about the who of the one who made it all. Regardless of whether it was seven days or 17 billion years or um, literal or figurative, the writer of the Bible seems to say that actually what you need to know is this was done with great intention and care. Maybe you've seen an outline of these first seven days like this shows a different kind of a, a parallelism. And so what the Bible in these opening lines is trying to do is, in the form of a poem, show you what great care with which creation has been made. See, in the first day, in the fourth day, do you see how they're kind of shared in common? First, first he made the light and the darkness, and, and then he made sun, stars, and, and the moon. And you might have noticed, actually, that uh, the stars and the moons aren't even called the star and the moon. Do you know why that is? That's because when the Bible was first written, tons of cultures and kingdoms, they, they worshipped the sun and the moon as gods and gave them names. And Genesis doesn't give them names just to make sure that you know that they're not gods. They were made by God. They're so unimportant to God that he's just going to call them the greater and lesser light because he's the creator. And in the second day, the waters and skies are sort of separated. But then on the, on the fifth day, the waters and the skies are filled. On the third day, earth is made and vegetation is made. But on the, on the sixth day, um, plants, um, pardon me, animals are, are put on that earth and given the permission to eat all that vegetation. And on the seventh day, God rested, blessed it, declared it very good, made that day holy. You see, the, the opening lines of Genesis are, are, are really meant to, to show for us that this was made with great purpose and beauty and intention. It's a, it's a poem written on the largest canvas possible. That's what creation is. He spoke all these things into existence. And they're done with great intricacy and delicacy and beauty. Uh, the Hansons don't have cable, mostly because I'm too cheap. But once every four years, my family is nice enough 
uh, to let me get cable, even though I don't let them have cable, uh, because of the World Cup. And um, so I watched the World Cup this summer on, uh, they bought me a month of YouTube TV, which means I could record the games and watch them anytime, and we didn't have to buy, get hardware, anything like that. It's great. Loved it. I might have kept it a little longer. I guess, I, not anymore, it's gone. But I might have kept it longer than just a month of the World Cup. And in addition to the World Cup, the other thing, if you were um, kind of in and out of my office at all during that um, eight to 11 week window when I had it, um, <laughs> happy birthday to me. One of the things that uh, you would have discovered if you'd come into my office is that I also had recorded like all of these episodes of the Blue Planet. You guys know the Blue Planet? Have you seen it, heard of it? So I would, I, the Blue Planet is like this incredible documentary where these uh, photographers and this, um, with careful cinematography have, have sought to capture so much of the magnitude and intricacy and beauty and the exquisite sort of interlaced reality of creation. And I would put it on my TV in my, in my office, and I'm, I uh, use mostly to show people PowerPoint slides. But I'd turn the volume all the way down, and I would just have the Blue Planet on as moving art. Why? Because I just was so often overcome with the beauty of it. See, what's been done here is not arbitrary. It's not accidental. But it was done with intention. It was done on purpose. But it wasn't just done um, um, with, a, with a purpose and with intention. It also, uh, next point, I, I maybe even might have even skipped this one. Our story with God, this opening lines with God, are relational. They're not isolated and not alone. We're not just scratching something out by ourselves. Now, you, you may have missed it, but um, there's, there's all sorts of places where we see that the, 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 the ultimate reality, the thing that we probably most need to know about ourselves and even our God is, is there's something relational there, something beyond just like skipping down and getting fast as we can to day seven so I can take a break. See, at the very beginning, God says, let us make humankind in our image pointing already to the reality that, that God in His oneness is already Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even from the very beginning, before there was even beginnings, God is already a plurality in His unity. There's already this, this ongoing, constant relationship. And in the form of that relationship, what He does with special care is He, he makes us in that image. We also are intended and created to be relational. So over and over and over again, even in these opening lines, what we discover, God's intent is the blessing of relationship. He says, I bless you. That's an impossible thing if there's not a blesser and a blessee. He says, I bless you. So there's already a relationship between God and God's creation, and especially us. There seems to be some sort of a relationship that we're never going to be able to totally peer into between God and God's self in the form of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's some sort of relationship that we're going to have with the earth. Work the earth and subdue it. 
There's some sort of a relationship we're going to have with one another. Go forth and multiply. Uh Uh-huh. See, what what the story's trying to get together right away for us, before we miss it and think that we're actually alone and none of this matters and we're just sort of like these sort of atoms sort of bumping into other things for as long as we have consciousness, the Bible tells a very different story. That you've been made with a relational intent. This is not an accident. These things didn't happen here on accident. And the fact that you can know someone, the fact that you can desire to be known, the fact that there have been times, multiple times, when you've wondered, I wonder if there's something out there that's bigger than me. Your appetite for spiritual connection all points to the reality that you've been made for relationship. See, this has been done with intentionality, the Bible wants to start with. Uh, wants to start with this reality that we actually have been, been created for a relationship and also finally last, at least for today, um, our story with God has a purpose. We're here for a reason. It's not just to scratch out a, a life and be happy. One of the things that I said to Jeff, and uh, he both knows and rejects, is happiness is ephemeral. It's a fog. You can never grasp it. As soon as you think you have happiness, it will go away. It's an awful pursuit. So what were we here for? Jeff and I had a great conversation. I mean, we had a lot. We talked a lot. We had a great conversation about the difference between happiness and joy. But one of the other things that I, that I said to him is, is some of these other things that you shared with me, they, they reflect actually what it is we've been made for. See, right there in day six, we get this little list of, of things that we've been made for. It's go forth, Multiply. You've been made in a way that you're, you're, you're supposed to be reflecting some things that are true about me. You're a maker. Go make other little image makers. Go do it. I've done it four times. There's even something good about the practice. And then he says... Subdue the earth. Take the starting materials that I have spoken into existence and and in a way that reflects my glory, take those starting materials and do something with them. Friends, that's vocation. That's your work. You get to be part of that story. When you're raking leaves, which is going to come here in just a couple weeks, and when you're punching the time clock, You may not even have never ever thought of it this way, but you know, Wednesday, Apple's gonna have its once a year big hullabaloo of a of a party and make all these announcements about the latest and greatest. And and you could be excused, and it certainly is at the same time true that part of that is just about making money. It's just about like letting you know the latest thing you need to buy. But you know what else it is? It's a reflection of the purpose that God has given to us. 
see what Apple has done and what your work is about and um, the things that we get to utilize are all reflect this thing that God has made us for. So we would take the starting materials of the earth. We would take soil and tree and seed and metals and our own sweat and labor and we'd, we'd take those starting materials and we would do something good with them. We'd do something with them. We'd fill the earth. All of that, friends, is to God's glory. The making of an iPhone, the sending of an email, the beer you enjoy after mowing the lawn. They are all a symbol that God has given us purpose. They can all be done to God's glory. That's the opening story of the Bible. That's what it wants us to know in these opening pages. That what has been made is been done with intention. It's not arbitrary. You are not in an arbitrary uh, story. What has been made has been made with relational intent. We're, in, we're created to actually be connected to one another and to God. In fact, in the next part of this story we're not going to read today, it says that God even walks with us, walked with us in the garden with Adam and Eve. So there's intention, and there's relationship, and there's purpose. There are things that we are intended to do as part of that created order to reflect what's most true about God back to God, to have vocation, to to be in relationship, to, um, if we're able to, have children. So if that's what the creation says, if that's what the Scripture says, why doesn't it feel that way to me? If this is something that actually has intention and relationship and purpose, why, why don't I know that? Why aren't I convinced of that? Why is that not my truth? Why is that not my story? Well, friends, come back next week. But until then, we can talk a little bit more about the hardship and frustration of how we now live in creation. Maybe I can encourage you before Jane comes up and and spends a few minutes in prayer, just take these three things as your new lens to see your life and your circumstances. That you've been made with intention and relationship and purpose. What if you took all the various components of your life and that was your new window? What if you took the things that were the most hurtful and the most frustrating and said, you know, somehow this was intended to be, not what it is, but it was intended to be something that was, had good, beautiful intention and relationship that was whole and thriving and purpose that let me reflect the Lord. Use this, friends, as your new window because it is the beginning of the story of God with us. Maybe rehearse just one thing you know is going to come this week, just for the next 15 seconds or so while Jane comes up and leads us in prayer.
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, you are a God of grace and beauty. You are love. We thank you for your grace. God, we pray for those of us in this room, for Eric's new friend, Jeff, for those who we carry in our hearts who do not know your love for them, who for a whole range of reasons struggle to believe that you made them on purpose, made us on purpose. It's hard for us to believe that you made all things with your intimate care and intention. Oh God, we pray for ourselves and for those who we know that they would know that you see them and know them. God, we also pray, especially this morning, for those of us who are in a place of crisis, in a storm or a pit. God, we pray that we would know your presence, that we would know you right where we are with us. God, we pray that we would be anchored to you and to your word and to one another. God, we pray that you would guide us in the ways that we would get to be part of holding on to your hope, that you know us, that you are with us, that you created us with intention and you have not left us. God, this word stirs in us a reminder that we need you so much. We want to live in your presence as you intended for us to know ourselves as people called to be part, joining you in your goodness, in your good creation. So God, as we begin this new season, we ask that you would shape us from the inside, that you would teach us what it means to find our story in your story. God, we remember that it started here in the beginning, God. May we know the beginning of our story to begin there as well. In the beginning, God so loved the world. God, have your way in us for your glory, we pray.